with you, shush. It is good to be back. It is good to start a good rhythm, a new semester. If you had a good week, most of you are like, oh, I don't know. Our jury's still out, actually. We got these syllabi, they're enormous. I have so much to do. How many days is it until spring break, anyway? Oh, you know. You know, you actually do know. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I understand. Couple of things we wanna talk about. First, we are starting a new series tonight based on your questions. So last fall, we asked you to ask the question, what if it's true that, and you all finish the sentence. And from the things that you submitted, we built this sermon series, which many of you received on a bookmark when you came in. Does anybody need a bookmark? Who needs a bookmark? Yes, yes, I see that hand. There you go. Joel's got some over there. Who else around here? Yeah, oh, good, good. Needs one more? Well, there you go. My friend. Hoekstra's and friends. There you go. You just take them all. Joel, I need more over here, buddy. Hit this ear, would you? Okay, Joel's going to work it, so keep your hands up in the air. Keep your hands in the air. Like you don't. <laughs> like you really care. All right. So keep your hands up, get the series. So if you take a look on one side, on the what if it's true, you see that tonight we're talking about what if Jesus is the only way to God. And you can kind of see the list there of things that you submitted. And if you're kind of bummed right now because you think, oh, it's such a good question and it's not in the sermon series, I encourage you to flip the bookmark over. Yes, that's right. And take a look at what we did last year. And if you're thinking, oh, I would really like to hear or watch that sermon, you can go online to calvin.edu slash faith, and all of the archives from last year are there. So if you want to, um, if you're kind of a sermon nerd like me, and this is how you, you know, what you listen to when you exercise or when you're falling asleep at night or when you're driving down the road, I am a nerd. Um, <laughs> then you can go and check those things out. They're all accessible online. So on one side, you've got what we're doing this year, and on the other side, you have what we're doing, uh, what we did last year. And if you want, there are extra bookmarks. If there are people you think, oh, I know that somebody would be really interested in this particular one. We talked about that in the dorm, or we talked about that in my class. Take a bookmark, bring it along, bring them here. Have some loft buddies. We don't just need buddies for chapel. We can have some loft buddies. So if you think this is a really good question, I want to bring more people in, bring your buddies. All right. This week in chapel, uh, tomorrow, Kate Coyman from Hope College, I know, <laughs> is going to be, she's on the chaplain staff at Hope. She's going to be talking with us. We're preaching through the Belhar Confession on Mondays. The Belhar is a confession that reminds us about the global unity of the church. And she's going to be talking about the unity of the church. So isn't that good? that our sister from Hope College is coming on the Monday after a significant basketball game, or not significant, depending on your perspective, is going to come and preach the word because this is what it's about. It's about shared faith and compassion. So everybody come to chapel tonight and tomorrow and be super nice to her, okay? Super welcoming. Her name is Kate, and she's fabulous, and you will love her, okay? On Tuesday... Kurt Verbeek from Honduras, where are my Honduras people in the house? 
Woo! He will be here on Tuesday, uh, speaking in English, just so you're clear, um, about his, the work that he does in Honduras. So instead of having Testimony Chapel on Wednesday, we're having Testimony Chapel on Tuesday from the director of the Honduras program. So please come and support him. And then Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and it's the start of the season of Lent, very good. And if some of you are sitting there thinking, I have no idea what A, Ash Wednesday, or B, Lent is, let me tell you. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of 40 days in which we dedicate ourselves in preparing for Jesus' resurrection on Easter. It's a season of penitence, of repentance. You may hear of people who give up things for Lent as a way toward uh, fasting and remembering what's most important. On Wednesday in chapel, we will have a service in which we will hear the word, I'll preach, and then we will put the ashes on foreheads or on your hand. So if you've never seen this before and you're like, this sounds a little crazy, come to chapel. You can sit in the back. You don't have to get the ashes on. Uh, but everyone is welcomed as we enter into this time of renewal and thinking about what God and Christ has done for us. So Lent is a time when we think about what do we give up that will constantly call us back to the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. So it's Sunday, you have until Wednesday to figure out what you wanna give up or maybe a spiritual discipline that you wanna start. Um, and uh, traditionally, Tuesday is called what? Fat Tuesday. So if that's something you wanna indulge in and eat a lot of punchkis, um, the polls in the audience, both of you will be very happy with that reference. Um, <laughs> Eat the Punchkeys, Fat Tuesday, Lent starts on Wednesday, all right? Okay. Uh, our friend Paul Bursma is not here again. He had a rough week and uh, went back into the emergency room actually this week. This is our friend Paul, who often worships with us. He's been, uh, he was in the hospital for the end of interim and um, He's just having a really hard time getting over lung infections. They thought it was pneumonia again, it's not. Um, but his dad, Dirk, and his mom, Harriet, asked that we continue to pray for Paul, and so I invite you to do that. His sister, Abby, is, our <laughs> is uh, an RA in Beats Feenstra and uh, often a worship leader up here, and so Abby, our, our prayers are with you too. So uh, when we have our time of prayer, we'll be praying for Paul. And now I invite our worship apprentices are going to come up and give an announcement um, during the offering. And the offering is for the Community Care Fund, which is for you. So she's saying don't play during the offering because they're going to do an announcement. Love clarity. All right, come on up. Joel and Christian, everybody. Good evening, my name is Joel Altsna, and this is Christian Balser, and we are both worship apprentices here in the chapel this year. Um, it's beginning to get around that time of year where we are looking for applications for next year's worship apprentices. Um, so if you are interested in that, um, pick up an application. Um, but we wanted to look, talk a little bit tonight about what exactly worship apprentice is. Uh, worship apprentices are the, really the point people for all the volunteers here in the chapel. So anyone who's a musician who, who plays, um, someone who greets for chapel, someone who sings, um, or someone who sets up the coffee and cookies downstairs for loft. Um, it's basically run by the worship apprentices. Um, also, 
uh, worship, apprentice gets, worship apprentices get to learn about how to plan and how to lead worship and then apply it to the daily chapels that we have here at Calvin and the loft services we have um, in a very tangible way. And uh, so, yeah, that's what, that's what, a, what a worship apprentice does. Um, and also then, uh, we are having two question and answer sessions this week. Um, Monday, tomorrow, from 3.30 to 4.30, and Thursday from 7 to 8 at night. And if you're interested in that, um, come and talk to us, and we can um, get you the times and uh, where it's at and stuff. Uh, I hold in my hands the coveted WAPplication. Um, I know, haha, right? Um, there's a lot of good stuff in here uh, if you're interested, and even if you're not, it's fun to just look at and read. Um, <laughs> Details about what a worship apprentice is, what we do. Um, it talks a little bit about time commitment, um, important dates uh, as a worship apprentice that we have throughout the year. Um, then it actually gives you a list of sort of the responsibilities, some that Joel named, um, that we go through here on a week-to-week -week basis. Um, talks about how long you serve, uh, is there compensation involved. Uh, I'll let you read the answer to that one. Um, uh, there's um, kind of a question section, I suppose you'd say. Not essays. These are not essays. So you're not like writing pages like you do for everything else. Um, <laughs> basic information that you'd fill out on any application and just questions about your personality, uh, things, uh, your view on worship, different sorts of questions like that. And then um, two recommendations to have filled out on your behalf. So there's a lot of good stuff in here. There are applications on a few tables downstairs for you to pick up tonight if you're interested. They're always outside um, Paul Ryan's office, which is directly below us in the Undercroft, um, right outside his office. If you're not interested, but maybe there's somebody you know who would be a good candidate for this or hasn't found out about it but would be interested, we encourage you to let them know. So even if you're not interested, encourage other people. And if you are interested, encourage yourself, I guess, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Apply for it anyway. Um, uh, these are due a week from Wednesday on the 20th. I think that's the 20th. I'm not a calendar, walking calendar, so yeah. Um, on a separate note, outside in the Narthex and in the Undercroft, there are two tables with signups for greeters. We are hoping to compile a new list for second semester uh, for greeters for loft and chapels on Monday through Thursday. So if you're interested, sign up. And if you're not interested, tell somebody who is interested. Thanks. pray together. Our God, what a privilege it is to gather with our brothers and sisters in worship. We thank you for people who write songs and arrange music. We thank you for people who practice their instruments day after day after day for people who know what it takes to be committed to lead. We thank you. We thank you that the global church shares resources and continues to teach us all the different ways in which people around this world, through all times and places, have gathered to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray that Calvin will be a place in which people from all backgrounds, from all different styles of worship can find community and can also be stretched 
to worship in ways that we hadn't before, to sing songs that are new and challenging, to sing songs in languages that are not our first language. Help us, Lord, to be a community that reflects what you want, a global church. And as we work our way through the Belhar Confession, remembering that we are a unified church, we pray that you stir in us things that draw us together, curiosity about other cultures, and a fierce resolve to be anti-racist. Lord, we ask a blessing on our sister Kate as she comes tomorrow. We pray that you pour out your spirit upon her and through us, and we will be drawn to remember the unity of your church. We pray for Kurt as he comes on Tuesday. We ask safe travel. We pray that he feels blessed to be here. And we ask that you will use him to continue to shape us to think about what is necessary to act and live for justice. And God, as we make the turn from the season of Epiphany into the season of Lent, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will convict us of our sin. That is a bold thing to pray. But wow, we need it. We are so good at lying to ourselves, so good at thinking, well, this one doesn't really matter. And that's the kind of thought that leads us into cheating on tests and papers, into lying to professors and RAs, into behaviors that we know are not right for us or God-glorifying. And so, Holy Spirit, Convict us of sin and show us what we need to do to turn from sin and turn toward Jesus. For we know that we are ash, we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And so, Lord, we pray that you will put to death in us all that needs to die so that what is right and holy will raise up. Move us, we pray, in this season of Lent from death to resurrection. And Lord, we pray for this new series that we're going into, big questions about faith and life, how to get along, how to love each other well, how to love you more. And we pray that you will come and speak to us and challenge us and encourage us through the preaching of your word. We thank you that you have promised that your word does not go out empty, but it accomplishes exactly what you want it to do. So we give this to you. We lay this in your hands and say, use this, Lord, for your purpose and your glory. And Lord, we pray tonight for our brother Paul. We wish that he were here with us singing loud, right in the middle of our community. Lord, we pray that you heal him we pray for his lungs, that they will be restored to their full working order. We pray for healing, we pray for mercy, and for his parents, we pray for rest, deep sleep. God, we do pray that they will begin to see progress. And when they don't see progress, may they see your presence with them, walking with them every step of the way. And we pray for our brother Paul that he will allow himself to rest. He loves to get out and be with people and see the world and meet and greet. And Lord, give him peace to just be home and rest. 
And we pray for others in our community who are hurting, some in ways we know and some in ways we don't know. We think of students who have parents who are fighting cancer, others who have parents who've lost jobs. We think of those who are wondering about how they should serve next year, what they should apply for, people who are waiting to hear about orientation board. All of these things can cause anxiety and worry and can consume us. So we pray, Lord, that you will send the peace that is beyond our understanding and allow us to trust in you. Help us to imagine a future in which you are Lord and we are giving you glory. And help us to do that now tonight. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. Oh, one more thing I forgot to say. The Christian Life Survey. You got an email from me. It was long, wordy, it had a link. If you fill out the survey, you can be in the running to win things. This is important. Uh, winning things is good. More important is we're working um, with Taylor University. They're doing this with about a dozen different Christian colleges, and we're going to compare our data against the data of other colleges and see how we can all learn and grow together. So does this sound familiar to you, this Christian Life Survey link? You've seen this. It's called email. All right? It did not come as a Facebook message or a text. It was actually an email. So click on it, open it, get that done. That would be a great help uh, to those of us who are involved in campus ministries here at Calvin. John 14, that's where we're going. John 14, page 877 in your pew Bibles. John 14. Be reading, be reading verses 1 through 14. John 14, page 877. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How could you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord.
Now, when people talk about the exclusivity of Christianity, when they think, you know, this whole thing that, oh, is Jesus really the only way? The verse that they usually trip over is John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And people get this image of Jesus as a bouncer. Black t-shirt, black pants, bulging muscles, little bling, earpiece, sunglasses. Hey, no one comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> and they get this sense like, well, Jesus is kind of arrogant. It's kind of exclusive. It's kind of rude, in fact. Maybe a little mean. And that makes us uncomfortable because we kind of like Jesus, kind of fans of the whole Christianity thing. And so when people look at that and say, Christianity is exclusive and Jesus is being arrogant and he's being kind of rude there, we, we, got, we got a little discomfort, right? A little uncomfortable. Because most of us like to have everybody involved. Many of us have grown up in countries where everybody gets a vote and everybody's thought matters and let's learn from each other and let's grow in community. And that doesn't go very well if we hit people thinking, well, your religion's really rude. It kind of stops conversation. Oh, you're one of those Christians. You are exclusive. I think, oh, man, that doesn't sound very nice. And so it's a really uncomfortable feeling when people say that Christianity is exclusive, is Jesus really the only way to God? How arrogant is that? Now, an easy answer is to say, well, I don't say that. Jesus said that. <laughs> Jesus is the one who said that he was, well, I, don't, I just, you know, it's, it's Jesus. <laughs> and to understand what Jesus actually was saying, what he meant... We have to think about who Jesus is. When you read through the Gospels, as you have done, when you get to know Jesus, do you read the Gospels and think, oh my goodness, Jesus is so arrogant? You can shake your head, I'm hoping, right? Do you read the Gospels and think, oh my goodness, he is so exclusive, he is so fussy about who he hangs out with? <laughs> no. You are laughing because the opposite is true. Jesus actually gets into trouble for hanging out with the wrong kind of people. The religious leaders come and they're like, you are hanging out with whores. You are hanging out with people who steal our money. You are hanging out with lepers. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, you want some more chicken? He gets in trouble for being inclusive. So when we look at this passage from John 14, the first thing we need to remember is that the person who said these words is the same person that we have seen in the Gospels as welcoming and inclusive, who reaches out to people on the margins of society and welcomes them in. He goes out to people and brings them in. He goes out to Samaria and speaks to the woman at the well. He goes out and speaks with a Canaanite woman and has this exchange where she stakes her claim on the kingdom. He heals people who are Roman. 
He heals people who are rich. He heals people who are poor. He goes out in the mix. So the person who said this word, I am the way and the truth and the life, we see in the Gospels as being someone who himself is incredibly inclusive. Right? All right. Now the other thing we need to know about the way that Jesus uses language here in John 14 is that he's riffing off the exchange between a groom and a bride. Some of you know that in first century Judaism, when the time came, a groom would build an addition onto his house, onto his father's house, and the father would say when it was done, build, 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 build. Is it good yet, Dad? No. Build, 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 build. Ow! Ah, build, build, build. Is it good yet, Dad? there. Remember, this is your bride. You want this to look good. So the father would have the say. They had been engaged. They had done all that. He knew where his bride was. He knew her name. He couldn't wait. Finally, the father would say, okay. And the groom would be like, yes. And he'd go and he'd get his bride and her whole family would come and they'd have this big party in the new house. So Jesus says, hey, I'm going in my father's house. Lots of rooms. Lots of rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And I'm going to come, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to bring you home. And it's going to be great. Now, it's really important that Jesus says this. You remember the first verse in chapter 14? What's the first line in chapter 14? Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's because right before this, he'd been talking about being betrayed. He'd been teaching them about his death. He'd been telling them that he was going to go away. And he wanted them to understand that he was going away the way a groom departs from his bride-to-be with anticipation, going to prepare a place. That kind of attention. On Friday night, I got home from work after a, a long week, a uh, long office week. My week actually ends about 10.30 tonight, but after a long office week, and I walk into my kitchen, and I can smell that dinner is already cooking. This is a new experience for me. <laughs> and my groom is standing in the middle of the kitchen, and he says, I'm so excited that you're home. I can't wait to show you what I did. I totally reorganized the kitchen. And I'm like, yes! And he says, okay, so this is what I did. And he's showing me how he reorganized things and he made things. And he said, I put all your tea right here where you can get it really easily. And, and he said, all the products that have gluten in them, because that's like death product for me, I put them in these cupboards up over the fridge that you can't even reach. And all the gluten-free stuff is like right here. And it's, there's no gluten over here at all. And, and it's already, and I was thinking like, how high can Mary reach? And he's, he's six feet tall, and I'm five foot three. So he, he was teasing me. He's like, I was like this. <laughs> Thanks, honey. But he was so excited for me to get to, and I was like, hi, this is so great. And then we had the great meal, and we sat down, and he made me this gluten-free veggie feast, and it was so good. And Jesus is like, yes! That's what I'm doing for you. It's like when you go home for spring break, and your mom's like, oh, 
I'm making the homemade lasagna and the garlic bread, and I start all the junk food that you like, and your dad's been practicing Mario Kart so he can play with you when you get home. And we got a new net for the hoop because that other one was so old and scrummy looking, so the new one looks all cool because we can't wait for you to come home. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The Jesus of the Gospels is inclusive. And a groom that is getting ready for his bride or a parent that's getting ready for a child to come home, there's this welcome, this inclusive, I can't wait, I'm preparing, this is going to be great. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And then he takes it even further. Philip says to him, um, could you just like show us the Father? I mean, do we have to wait for this whole like, you go and you build a thing and then you come back and get us? I mean, it's going to take a while. I mean, you are a carpenter and everything, but still. <laughs> Can't you just show us? Can't you just show us the Father? And Jesus does one of these like, Philip, come on. You've been with me this whole time and you don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Let me do this again. If you know me, you know the Father. Father, me, me, Father. Father, me. I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. So if you know me, you know Father. Now, let's put a pause there. Because this is very different from every other religion out there. Every other religion out there has a bouncer. You gotta do the right thing. You gotta say the right thing. You gotta work your way in. And if you don't know the right code word, you're not getting in. And every other religion has God as this high, or the gods, depending on the religion. They're high, they're far off, they're powerful, and they don't really like you that much. And it's up to you to do everything you can to make your way there. You got to pray this way this many times a day. You got to give this way. You got to go here on these occasions. You have to offer this kind of sacrifice to this kind of God on this kind of day. You have to work really hard to get by the bouncer. God's there if you're lucky you may get close. Jesus says to Philip, I am the Father. The Father is in me. God has come near. You don't need to do anything. And what's particularly remarkable about this God is that he actually takes on the flesh of humanity and actually chooses to suffer. Now in Buddhism, which is not so much a religion really as a philosophy of life, the idea is to detach from everything because once you're attached to things, you start to suffer. If they cause you pain, if something happens to them, you suffer. You don't want to suffer, so you detach and you meditate and you think about how you are just not attached to the whole world. You're just detached and you're not going to suffer. 
We have a God who's attached. We have a God who says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer because I see your suffering and I want it to end. And there's no way that you could go up there. There's just no way. So I am going to come to you. And in the person of Jesus Christ, we see the Father. This is also really important to remember because people who have wandered from God are often people who've been angry at God. They were in a time of suffering, God didn't do what they wanted him to do, and they're angry about it. They lost someone that they loved, they thought God should show up a lot faster than he did, God could have saved the life, why didn't he? They're angry. And we do something really interesting in faith. We break apart the members of the Trinity. I've never heard anybody say, I'm really mad at Jesus. I've never heard anybody say, I am so upset with the Holy Spirit. I've heard lots of people say, I'm mad at God. And I was talking about this with a student this week, kind of mulling this over. And she said to me, I wonder if it's because of the language about God as Father. And we're really familiar with being angry at our parents at different points in life. And it's easy for us to just transfer that and be angry at God the Father. But Jesus died for us. So you can't really be angry at him. And what happens when we're in a season of suffering or loss or grief is that we get really angry and we commit the sin of taking the members of the Trinity and separating them out so we can just be angry at one. And so when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, what he is saying is when you're angry and you're upset and you don't know what God is doing in your life, look at me. Know me. And how did we say that Jesus was? How do we see him in the Gospels? Healing, loving, weeping with his friends, eating food with people who are rejected by society, calling people to better ways of living. When we're in a season of suffering and loss and anger at God and we don't know what he's up to, the invitation from Jesus is, look at me. Read the Gospels. Learn my stories. Learn my teaching. Look at me. Because this is the way to the Father. Not to imagine him as far off, some God pulling the puppet strings of our life, but to see him as coming near in the person of Jesus Christ, who is not exclusive, but incredibly inclusive. The passage in John 14 is not about exclusion, it's about intimacy. 
It's about a God who comes near. It's about a groom getting ready for a bride. It's about relationship. It's about intimacy. And everyone is welcome. You don't have to do anything. There's an incredibly low admission standard into the kingdom of God. No application. Harder to be a wall than to get in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> no admission. No standard. No, we're taking seven. The 40 of you are a lot. It's, it's, you're in. Jesus is incredibly inclusive, incredibly welcoming. Very low bar to get in. Are you a sinner? Great, you qualify. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. If you know me, you know the Father. So what's the invitation then? It's to know Jesus. Last week we had a time of prayer for our unbelieving family and friends. And I was emailing with some of you and talking with some of you about that service and about the people you carry on your heart all the time. And you talk about how you talk with them and sometimes you argue and you give them books and then you try to just, I'm just going to listen and I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to nod and smile and I'm not going to engage anymore. And, and you're kind of at your wit's end. You're like, I don't know what to do. The beautiful grace that we are offered in John 14 is that we are not the way and the truth and the life. We get to point to Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. And one of the really important things to remember is that God is the one who saves. God saves. You don't save. He could use you. In a conversation, he can use you through prayer. He is your covenant partner. He wants to use you, but you don't save, God saves. This is also really important to know as we go out and we engage with people of other faiths or people who don't have faith, and we can feel like, I don't know all the answers. I don't know the answers to, you know, Christianity, and if they ask me something, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to know the answer. Guess what? I don't know all the answers. Hello? I don't know all the answers. I've gone to seminary. We could do stump the jump. You could, you could stump me pretty quickly. It's not about knowing the answers. It's about saying that this is the most amazing love story ever written, and we get to be a part of it, and we get to invite others to be a part of it. So if my story, my testimony is constantly saying, I am amazed at the love of God for me, that invites people in. I just, I so want you to know Jesus because he's a groom and he's getting ready to bring you home. He is so getting ready for you. He's so excited to know you, for you to know him. So the question, what if it's true that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Oh, thank you, Jesus because then we're off the hook. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to meet any standard. And neither does anybody else. So if someone says to you, Christianity is incredibly exclusive, you say, no, 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 no. They took me. He took me. 
He loves you so much. He chooses you. He's getting ready for you. He wants you to know him. That's our Jesus. Will you pray with me? Our God, how amazing it is to be part of this love story that started at the beginning of time when you were not a God who stood far off, but you came near. You wanted relationship with your creatures and you still want it. You draw near to us in the person of Jesus Christ and you remind us to look at his nail-scarred hands and remember sacrifice and remember love and remember the death that leads to resurrection. And so we pray, holy God, that we will make this about relationship and intimacy and knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. And we pray today, give us Jesus. Give us Jesus. Give us Jesus. Amen.